0: Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Leitner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Leitner, alongside my partners in crime in studio, Chris Legg, and Bryn Starnes. Yeah. And yeah. Hey. I feel like
1: we should have some that, that applause button or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one. So for that
0: when it's so rare for us to be here. Oh, our special guest. That's exactly right. Some He's already
2: in studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right.
0: So yes, this this week, or actually this probably couple of weeks at least, worth of episodes. Um, we have a special guest in studio with us as well. And so I'm gonna throw it over to Chris to um, get the the introduction going, because I don't know, yes. I'm I'm really excited about this
1: um okay so let me uh, this is a great uh I guess throwback so we Dan I don't know if you know but we season one season two um we had David on this podcast Smalley which is how you and I met Mm -hmm. was through David Smalley is that when David Smalley was we were I was on the podcast with David and um Dan was one of the guys who reached out from that and said, "Hey, I just wanted to check in with you. I really kind of appreciated how you talked to David, and and I'd love to talk with you as well." So total strangers, right? And brought together by David Smalley, <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I was trying to figure out how long ago that was, Chris, 2017 or 2016? Oh my gosh! Yeah, we had him here at the church 2017. So it had to be before then. So yeah, so it was before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And Dan, you said you came up to the church when when David. Yeah, I've been here spoke. three
2: times. I've okay. spoken at two Wednesday nights, and then I was here for David's live yep. debate.
1: Yep. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Anyway, mm-hmm. so the—and uh, and Dan, one of your questions was one of the ones that really stumped David on that day when he was here, as we talked about, which was the—essentially the—isn't isn't, it—and and I'm paraphrasing it, mm-hmm. and over the years I've used it many, many times, but is the—isn't it essentially child
2: abuse for an atheist to have a child— yeah, if the if if the atheist thinks the world is so evil, um, and there is no god, then the last thing that you should do is unwillingly or you know force a child force a child to come into this world that right. you are decrying is so evil. It's you so are the, and evil. You are the source of their suffering ultimately, right? So why are you doing this? Yep. Mm. and it was again. It's on the
1: it's on our website. You can go back and watch the the. I uh, watched David really, honestly stumble through that one because I don't, mm. I don't think that had crossed his mind at all. No, at that point. I, he
2: didn't want to say that I regret having my daughter. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. Who <laughs> was in the audience? I think, but <laughs> yes. I don't,
2: I don't think. But he did. He was emphatic about. Well, I, I don't want to have kids anymore. Right. But then, it was a, it was a difficult. Thing it's, for him it's to a walk. tough one,
1: yeah. and that's one of the things we've talked about several times in here. Is. The problem of suffering being one of those things that people go to a lot, but recognizing when you take God out of the world, you don't reduce its suffering at all. You just reduce the potential for any redemption to be yeah. connected to that suffering. Right,
2: right. I think the, the the problem of evil is still maybe even a greater problem for a non-theistic worldview because you haven't solved it. You're right. There's nothing's happened. But I but I think the solution. There's no, you know, there's no equitable theodicy that satisfies everybody. But one of the things that I have often said to myself and to others who struggle with with that problem of evil in a deconstruction sort of way is, is that if, if you're choosing to remain alive through the process, now I know the statistics on suicide are horrible, especially since the pandemic, but a lot of people that are advocating for the problem of evil as an argument against God's existence, uh, who choose to continue to live in the world and to experience the world and to delight into the world are basically offering their own solution to this problem. In other words, they want to continue to live in this world, despite the arguments that they've just leveled at how evil permeates the world and how they're suffering all over the place. They still want to continue to live in it and enjoy it. So in essence, in essence, they're tacitly saying, "Life, the good in life far and right. away outweighs any evil that I just brought right, up right. as mm-hmm. an argument against God's existence. It's mm-hmm. like the analogy I use is like... Um, You've seen pictures of insects mm-hmm. under an electron microscope, and they look terribly mm-hmm. frightening. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's a dust mite, or a <laughs> right, they look terrible, <laughs> yeah, they it's like alien, horrible, horrible monster, you know, Especially yes. if you put them up on the on the big screen, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think that's what we do with with evil that we look at these germs under the electron microscope yeah, and yeah. we magnify them beyond the scope that 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 they have, right? We 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 add to this problem by magnifying it beyond what it is and. What you have to do in any kind of theodicy as an objection to God's existence is you have to downplay the goodness yeah. mm. in the world.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: But the very life of the atheist who wants to live in this world and continue to experience the goodness is an argument against their own argument. Mm. Right. Interesting. They're saying that the good is better than the evil that I just described.
1: Yes. Yep. Mm. Or the potential, even in part of David's answer was, well, I want them to become humanists to make the world a better place, mm-hmm. which... So, in other words, you're saying there is a value in this life that that overwhelms, that overrules the negatives. Right. If even if it is just to fight against the negative,
2: you're saying that's worth right. it. Right. And the other problem like with that response wow. is y- y- your your naturalistic worldview does not have a standard of what an improved <laughs> yeah, world what would that would be. mean. What right. Exactly. Better than what? Better than what? Yeah. And for whom? And for whom? Yep. So yeah. so that that ambiguity when when you're talking to people in deconstruction or your atheist friends. You have to nail down the ambiguity in a lot of their sentences, yeah. statements and things, because yeah. they will use phraseology and, and things that sound profound. They're struggling mm-hmm. with this, struggling with that. But yep. nail down nail, nail down the specifics. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's really where you have to make progress is, yeah. is to get past the ambiguity and what they hear and read on social media yeah. and get down to the nitty gritty and say, well... Explain to me that in yeah. greater detail, you know,
3: in defined great. terms. So, so is... <laughs> we well, get back to well, in the yeah. introduction. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, this is this is
0: great, and we're gonna. I know we'll get back to more of these conversations. Absolutely. But can we can we talk a little bit about kind of how you got started yeah. in apologetics and kind of the Watchman Fellowship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a little and, bit as we get rolling. Sorry. And go another ahead.
1: key part of this, uh, Dan, and, and I'm sure we this came through, but is to even especially, what we found is to hear your story, mm. and because part of what we're seeing is the nature of the healthy version of the deconstruction and reconstruction life, and how some people are able to do that. And 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 I know that you maybe more than almost anyone. I mean, we've had several great guests, but I know you've wrestled with the things that people wrestle with, mm-hmm. and you are still walking yeah. with the Lord actively, and so. We have found that for several of the people who listen, that is super challenging and encouraging for them. So, mm-hmm. both we want to hear the, the uh, educational, the, the uh, academic side of it, but we also want to hear the personal mm-hmm. story. So, take it away there.
2: Well, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> gosh. Um, so, I, I became a Christian about 30 years ago. Uh, I was not raised in a Christian household. Um, when I was in high school, my dad took his own life. So, mm. um, you know, I, I don't want to, to, to blame everything that I've struggled with on my father. I'm responsible for my decision, but I do know that to some degree, I, you know, I've had counseling about this. I've talked to a lot of people about it. I've come to grips with dealing with that, but it certainly does impact how um, people see God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that are deconstructing that have traumatic experiences that impact how they're seeing God as well. But um, I say a lot to say that uh, when I became a Christian, I didn't have any discipleship growing up. It's a wonder that I survived. I wasn't in a church that was mm-hmm. really proclaiming the gospel for a long time. I was in a non-denominational church that was more, it wasn't prosperity or anything like that, but it was just more like a combination of self-help and and some Bible verses. And and mm-hmm. it, it all seemed to put the the pressure on me to perform in order to please God. Mm. And um, so what I've struggled with for years, um, well, my first several years as a Christian was the, the idea that is systemically problematic for all human beings, um, and Watchman, Watchmen we study cults and other world religions, and the, the main appeal of all of these other non-Christian worldviews is this idea of working off your sin or working toward or, or contributing to um, God being pleased with you, that you're earning favor or brownie points with the cult leader or with right. their version of God. And that is systematically appealing to human nature. It's mm-hmm. our nature to want to. Well, you did this for me. I want to do this for you. Or uh, I have to earn your favor. I have to earn your trust. I have to. We are a, a meritocracy. We live in. You know, you do this. For, we all talk about karma and everything. And so these these institutions and ideas prey upon people's desire to want to um, uh, please God through their own efforts. Right. So I think of Matthew seven, of those people that's standing before God and saying, you know, we did all these wonderful works in your name. And Jesus just says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, right? Because they're not cognizant of their own sin. They're not cognizant of the work that Jesus has done for us. So I say all this to say that I think I, what I had built up in my mind was a, a cult, what I call a cult of the heart. In other words, my version of Christianity, I was in a church, I had a pastor, I would read the Bible, but in my mind, I, I was constructing a cult in my own mind. Interesting. But I was surrounded by Christians and you go to church and you say you're a Christian, you read the Bible, but I was constructing, all unbeknownst to me, a a cult of the heart. In other words, Mm. so my my initial struggles with Christianity for the first several years of my walk was this meritocracy-oriented legalism of trying to please God in my own efforts. And uh, within five or six years, I became suicidal. So about 20 years ago... Um, I was sitting in my car in my garage and with the car going, I was I was done. Hmm. And, um, hmm. you know, I don't blame anybody but myself for making this decision. But, uh, I, you know, whether it was an audible voice or an internal feeling or a sense, I don't know, you know, what it was, but it was turn off the car and call so-and-so. So very specific person in my life at that time. So I... You know, I was like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> crawled out of the car, called so-and-so, and and they had told me, and this, this was just like the ice bucket challenge, and I'm never going back to doing this ever again. <laughs> and I tell all my friends and family, I said, I'm not suicidal anymore, and here's why. Um, so I called her and she said, Daniel, uh, the Lord told me that you were in great danger and we were praying for you. What happened? Wow. Yeah. And so that was like, well I was like God obviously saw me. Yes. Mm. And I'm not doing that again. Yeah. It Man. was it was scary. Yeah. I was more afraid of that phone conversation than what I was, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. Wow. No idea what I was doing. At that point, it didn't happen instantly, but at that point, all right God, you you just spared me from something. So, all right, I'm not going to do that. Mm. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do that. Um so for the next several years I still struggled with um, bad theology, wrong thinking. And um, um, I, I can only attest to the fact that it, it had to have been uh, God's grace and mercy and absolute sovereign decision to keep me in the fold. Mm. Because with everything that I struggled with and the depression and everything else, it's like, well, how, how am I still a Christian? Why am I still... You know, but but the one thing that when I became a Christian, the one thing that, that that I think was a gift from the beginning is that I knew that the Bible was the word of God. I don't know how I knew that, because I hadn't read a page of it. <laughs> but I knew that was an ironclad conviction. So the struggles that I'm have that I have and I'm articulating are not were never based on doubting whether or not the Bible was God's word. It was whether or not I was a Christian. And it didn't seem like in, in relation to my own father, I could please my own father. And so I just transferred that to God it's just dad in the clouds now and i can't please him either and he seems even more angry than my father because mm. you know mm. um well, look what's at stake and if i don't help myself then god's not going to help me and uh it was just it was just terrible so i continued to to struggle with that and i can tell you theologically on paper that's not at all what christianity is mm. but um right so it's like it's like in uh, in uh, john 6 where jesus just lays it down (laughs) yes you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood (laughs) Uh, so so the people in the crowd are going jewish crowds aren't into that no they're like you know this is a hard (laughs) saying i'm leaving Mm, they don't even bother to hang around and find out what it means Mm. they just leave and jesus goes you want to go also you guys want to leave too and Peter, I don't even think Peter understood it. I'm sure he yep. was probably knowing Peter, probably a little tempted to walk out the door at that point. <laughs> maybe uh, you have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of how I've I've been. I don't have an intellectual answer for how I've been able to persevere. Mm. I, I mean, I'm not that smart. Um, mm. I've made a lot of dumb decisions in my life. So I I absolutely have to attest to the fact that, and this is what you know, Paul gets into in Romans 9, of course, where, you know, who resists God's will? And Paul just says, who are you to reply against God, oh man? You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a Job thing. And it's, right. a, lot, a lot of theologians are not satisfied with Paul there. So we construct these big explanatory paradigms about <laughs> how God chooses some and he doesn't choose others. And, you know, I'm with the old theologians who say, why does God save anybody at all? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, why do some have good soil? Why do some bear so much fruit? And why do some not receive it? Right. I don't have the answer to that, but right. I do know that the gospel message is not Gnostic. It's not secret. It's open to anyone. And if the Lord of the universe has you by the hand, you're not going anywhere.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, He's hedged you in, as the psalmist says in 139. So I think to get back to this idea of the cult of the heart that I had created, what I think in people that are deconverting or struggling with, and I empathize with them 100%, is not that they're walking away from real Christianity. Mm. They're tired of the tyrant that they have created in their mind, what they have considered to be Christianity. And for maybe the first time in their Christian walk, they're wrestling with idolatry and sin, genuinely. Mm. Like, I'm tired of this, right? Mm -hmm. But is that what you're tired of? Is that really Christianity? or, or, Or is that a cult that you have created in your own mind mm-hmm. of Christianity. I'm surrounded by Christians. I mean, there's there's probably a ton of us that are still wrestling with some bad theology in our lives, and nobody's mm. gonna die a perfect theologian. But <laughs> but True. but I think <laughs> that's right, the good thing I could say about deconversion processes is that the individual going through them is probably for the first time really wrestling with sin and idolatry.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: And not now. Because what does John Calvin say about the heart? I think it's Calvin or Augustine that it's an idol factory. Mm -hmm. Right. And in Mark 7, Jesus says, out of the heart comes all of these things. So what I think, and I was just explaining to Colson, that I think that what happens is a circumstance will create a tectonic shift in a person's heart and crack that stone a little bit, and out of that comes all the junk. So a circumstance triggers the evil that's already present in all of our hearts, Mm -hmm. and that Begins the process of reconstruction, but what's the standard now by which you are processing through this? Mm. Right, right. I was telling Colson earlier about doubt can't be the standard by which you are deconverting. You can't doubt something when you're going through doubts. You have to have a standard. If I doubt the measurement of the walls in this room, there's one thing I can't doubt, It's the tool by which I'm measuring the height. Right, right. But in a deconversion process, what generally tends to be the case and what generally tends to be celebrated, but nobody's asking specific questions about this, you can't use doubt as a standard for doubting something. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Because you're undermining your own conceptual framework about how you're thinking about something. (laughs) Right. So this gets back to the question of specifics. What is your standard for why and how you're doubting God's existence. What, what's what's at the base level? You think, because a lot of people on the other side of these experiences will say, and the atheists, the smart ones will say, I was asking people for answers, and I wasn't getting any satisfaction from right, any of exactly. the answers I was getting. That's okay, their standard now? So, so what is the, what's the intellectual satisfaction for what constitutes evidence for God's existence? Right. Well, I just went through this process of doubt. I was sincere about it. You know, I prayed about it, God didn't answer me, and I'm not getting answers from my pastors or friends. So what's so what's the, the ruler then? What's mm-hmm. the standard for by you by your how you're judging what God would and would not do? Right. And it can't be doubt by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, the philosopher Leslie Nubigan who says that if I if I intend to doubt something, there's always one thing that I cannot doubt. So if you have a friend or family member going through a deconversion process, those are the kind of conversations that you need to have. Move past the linguistic ambiguity and nail down some specifics and help them to clarify why they think they suddenly know more than everybody else that (laughs) has come and gone in the last Mm -hmm. 2,000 years about Christianity.
0: And we talk a lot about that, like, (laughs) yes, if maybe you're having these questions for the first time, but that doesn't mean that other people have not had that question and then have dealt. Have then kind of taken the next step of researching it. Yeah. And so that's
3: kind of that's, that's kind of that, one of the one things of
1: the t- themes we've run into several times is like yeah, it's your first time to realize that's a question. It is not the first time anyone mm-hmm. has realized that's right. a question. Right. Right. And
3: when, like either I can't remember if you or Chris shared used to say, but tell me the God that you're deconstructing, and I may not believe in him either. Yeah, like exactly. he may not be the God of the Bible at all. I'm right.
1: an atheist to your right. God too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the God you I were raised with I don't believe in that God. Right. Yeah.
2: exactly. And I think one thing, I just had a conversation with a gentleman who um, we're talking about the universe. And one often thing that you'll hear from an atheist on the other side of that experience who came out of what they believe to be a Christianity is um, um, well, there's no evidence. So, um, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to believe that, that the God of the Bible is true because there's just no, and then they'll, they'll give you a litany of things. And, and one of the things that I ask, when, when I encounter this that that reveals that this is not an entirely and for me I don't think it's really I think a large percent of the percentage of this is not intellectual it's it's emotive mm-hmm. is that they'll tell me that there's no evidence and then I'll say well okay um, I use this example we have cows in our field and I say if there's if I see no evidence of a heifer in the pasture and the person would ask me well what does a heifer look like Well, I I don't know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I just know that there's none that I've seen that convinced <laughs> me that that's a heifer. Right. So, so this, is where, this is where you unmask the intellectual pretense that sometimes is there. You just told me there's no evidence. And when I got specific about, well, that would imply that you would know what the evidence would be yeah, if God did exist. That, that's what you're saying. You're saying Have you, there's no evidence. A good work to do first. Yeah, there's no evidence, but that implies, again, a standard. Mm-hmm. So if you peel back that layer, you'll find that there is no standard, except they've already made an emotive decision to, to not accept any evidence. It's exactly what Romans 1 says, that, mm-hmm. that when you get down to the layer of the suppression of truth, it gets ugly mm-hmm. and yeah. it gets emotional and it gets feisty and nasty, but then you at least know. It's not an intellectual argument. That's a, that's, we've discussed that quite a bit with
1: several people is the nature of that, that the standard for so many people is their, is their own psychological state is I'm not satisfied. Like, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know which thing is broken. Is it that there's not enough evidence to satisfy you? Or is your satisfaction meter broken? Like, Mm -hmm. are you just, you're not, or or is it even a a willful decision to not be satisfied? And that's, Mm -hmm. all of those are things that that we've talked about belief, even because we discussed it, especially when, when someone asks why, what would cause me to not believe? And I'm, I'm always like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like I have no way of knowing what it would, maybe if I got hit hard enough in the head with something that would, or I got Alzheimer's that would still have no bearing on whether or not what I believe or don't believe is true. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're talking about. There needs to be a standard beyond just my personal psychological Absolutely.
2: state. I've had a lot of atheists over the years ask me, same question, Chris. Yeah. What would it take for you not to believe? Or uh, what evidence would you accept for uh, for there being no God? And it's always a hypothetical. It's interesting because it's always a hypothetical situation. It's sure. never, here's the concrete evidence that shows me. That should show you that God doesn't exist. It's always a hypothetical based on something related to your psychology or your confidence level. Right, right. And I simply say, well, I could get a terminal disease. Mm. I could get angry with God. But I know after what I've been through and what what I know now that if I ever left Christianity, it would be purely emotive. Oh, just yeah, exactly. At this you stage, know, I'm telling you now in my sane mind. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. That if ever you had to come back to me and confront me about my unbelief, yeah, I, I will give you the keys right now and say, "Here, call me out on this because it's going to be a purely emotive decision." Interesting. It's not going to be based on any sort of intellectual argument that there is no God. For example, we are talking to a um, mythicist on our atheist and Christian book club next next month. David Fitzgerald, who wrote the book Nailed. David is one of three mythicists in the world who doesn't believe Jesus ever existed. Hmm. Oh, wow. I, I am Not many in, of those. I am in an email exchange with David. He's a nice guy. He used to be a Christian, was a missionary in Cambodia, and I don't know what deconstructed his faith, but he's gone kind of off the deep end to the extreme that Jesus didn't even exist. But as yeah. we're in the exchange of, of talking about his historical methodology, for example, he'll he'll say, well, the the New Testament manuscripts are the earliest New Testament manuscripts we have are 150 years after the events they describe. That's true.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, uh, uh, well, the the the, the there are fragments that are fragments know, older that than that. Are, yeah, yeah, but whole so, books. Yeah, I'll go with that. But I just granted him that. <laughs> okay, <Just> fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Okay, <laughs> because and the reason I can is because so he brings up. I said, well, do you do you think Pilate existed? Not well, just Pilate existed. He's like, yeah, some people have talked about him, and there's a stone in Caesarea with his name right. on it. Yeah, uh-huh. I was like, okay, so. So you believe Pilate existed because he appears in Josephus and Tacitus and there's a stone in Caesarea with his name on it. Right. Okay. So the earliest manuscript we have for Josephus is from the 15th century. (laughs) Right. The earliest Tacitus uh, manuscript we have is from 1000 AD. So you're going to tell me you're skeptical of the New Testament because it's the earliest manuscript we have is 150 years later. Right. But Josephus and Tacitus are a millennia, right? This isn't a problem for you. I mean, a medieval Christian scribe could have come in and just wrote a sentence about Pilate in there, right? And so, and then you're going to tell me that a stone with Pilate's name on it in the port city of Caesarea was was evidence that he existed. Well, how do you know a Christian didn't just didn't carve <laughs> Pilate <laughs> right exactly into yeah. a stone and they were just fabricating Mark's gospel? Continued, you know, so so it's it's like there's it's not an intellectual problem. There's something right. deeper than that. Um, and and even when you talk to somebody on these intellectual points, just make sure that you're aware. Of your own ignorance about some of these things, and and don't try to to sort of persuade them in a matter of a microwave minute or two that they're wrong, mm. um, because as we as I've learned at Watchmen over the years, um, working with cults, people in cults and other religions, it takes somebody about seven to eight years to come out of Mormonism just to completely break from it. Right, uh, that's not even to make a decision for another worldview, and I think that holds true for a lot of people that are switching worldview gears mm. um, that it's a it's a much lengthier process you can't just keep giving them Bible verses and there, there's a compassionate relational um, necessity there that you in bearing with somebody through that um, but but it's not an instantaneous uh, there's no silver bullet for pulling people out of these tornadoes of doubt
3: why do you think it is that we want that why is it hard for a lot of believers to I think it would be hard for a lot of Believers to hear like seven or eight years. Yeah. When it comes to family, friends, or even their neighbor.
2: Well, I think everybody can look at their own lives, um, even if you go back to childhood, where either our parents or our friends or God Himself has been extraordinarily patient with us. Mm-hmm. It's taken us 10 to 15 years to figure out how to be nice to our spouse or to be <laughs> a better parent or to be a better teacher or. Gosh, just 10 years ago. You know, the, you, you look at YouTube now where we're, it's a major cancel culture where somebody did something 10 years ago and it's like a 15-second clip of their lives, you know, 15, 10 years ago. But now they're being canceled because of something they put on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like how many of us would be canceled if, if our 15 years of our lives were on the internet? <laughs> you know? No comment. Uh, <laughs> that's why I'm not on the internet. Exactly right. Uh, but, but that's... The, the, I think I think the reason why is because we we have a we have a high view of ourselves, and and a very low view of of sin. Mm. It's what Jesus says to to the Pharisees, and I think it's, we're all guilty of it. We set aside the commandments of God for the sake of our own traditions. Mm. And I think if you get used to, I'm not such a bad person. Um, you're going to be a lot less patient with people if, mm. if you don't recognize the depths of your own depravity and what you've <laughs> <Right>. been through. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. You're going to want them to come up to this superficial... Well, come up to it, but you 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 want them... The instantaneous desires that we have are really predicated upon the fact that we just don't realize the process and the, the nastiness through which mm-hmm. we've all been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we we demand this of our friends just so we can have our circumstances. We don't want unpleasant things in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's we want so them true. The, we want them on the peripheral. That's right. Um and we call that the flesh. Right. And <laughs> I having gone through this, I know I, there have been a lot of people that have born with me that have would rather have me on the peripheral. Mm. And some have some I've lost friends. Yeah. through through it. And um you know, that's hard, but um but yeah, we I think that tends to be that that instantaneous nature tends to be the fact that we haven't sat down, taken stock and look at our own lives and how far we've come and, yeah. and through what God has brought us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Another question that I have, Dan is, um, you know, we were, we were talking earlier cause you were saying, you know, you want to be, uh, compassionate as you're, you know, talking with people who have had these deconstruction stories. And sometimes it might be uh, a parent or a father issue. Sometimes it might be some abuse or something that they mm-hmm. have gone through with the church. Um, what we have seen as as far as some of the conversations that we've had from from people who have grown up with, whether it's like either in church or have had some sort of relationship with uh, God or Christianity, and then they've walked away either completely or for a time. One of the the common threads was,, um, and I don't know how best to articulate it, Chris, but basically like they were asking questions and their questions were met with, Why are you asking questions?
1: Mm. Yes.
0: Um, And so kind of a a shutting down of that. And so I'm curious if you've, through your uh, conversations, has that been any sort of kind of common thread of people making this assumption like, okay, well, if I'm going to be a part of Christianity, um, or or my assumption growing up was, okay, if I'm going to be a part of this, I need to check my brain at the door. Mm, Um, Right, right. And so I, I'm curious, one, if you've experienced that and what are maybe some other common threads of, um, you know, people's experiences that that you've seen through talking with atheists or people who have kind of deconverted uh, and then who are kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, yeah. no, this is, this is right. how, how right. I believe now.
2: That's a good question. Um, I think it, you know, going back to just being biblical about it, mm-hmm. um, we like to blame people for things. And I think a lot of times to, to address the, why are you asking questions? I think it goes back to that, uh, just kind of snap out of it mentality. Mm. Right. I don't want this difficulty, um, because I can't answer that question. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a matter of, okay, so a struggling believer meets an insecure believer who really doesn't want to think about much more than Wednesday night, Sunday night, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then you got this kid or adult who's, for whatever reason, for whatever circumstances, having these doubts and questions. And so it's a it's a perfect storm. Um, but as I said earlier, here's here's a situation and a circumstance that reveals the evil on both sides of our hearts, mm-hmm. right? The one is that I don't want to think about this, the one is that I do want to think about this. And in really in both cases, nobody's thinking biblically about either of them, mm-hmm. right? In a sense. So we I hear a lot of testimony where The atheist says, I was asking questions and I just got dismissed. That's a serious problem. But that also for the atheist turns into, see, if God existed, people wouldn't do this to me. This is is Christianity. I don't want any part of it. Totally understandable. I have been that person. Mm -hmm. I've been on both sides of that fence. I've asked questions and got pushed away. And I've had people ask me questions and I push people away. And um, sometimes I push people away. Uh, I've pushed people away because I can just—I just know they're asking that to be annoying mm. <laughs> or to to to, <laughs> yes. to 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 cause a. Pr- they've already decided mm-hmm. that this is wrong, and they just want to kind of stick their nose in it and mm. rub our nose in it, right? So it's mm-hmm. a kind of a discernment: is this person that's asking this question deeply troubled, or have they already made a decision mm-hmm. and they're just trying to find an excuse? To, to bail mm-hmm. which
0: can i interrupt you there that yep. was an interesting thing that chris you had mentioned right. about talking with david smalley uh you know years apart yes uh, from those times and he was like uh again not not just trying to to dog on david smalley but that's <laughs> no. that's something that he'd um, be okay with it yeah so it was like and maybe you can clarify but you were like a lot of the questions that he had asked before yeah he was asking the same ones again and it was
1: like the, As if we had never talked about them. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and it there was, are answers out there. Like it, it Even, even conversations, even, and that's not special to David. I, no. One, yes, that's yes, a little yes. bit true probably of all of us, but true. especially that, that, I don't know, aggressive, assertive uh, mindset about, especially something like atheism. But it, it does have a lot of, okay, this is the question I brought to the table. No one can answer it. Someone answers it. They give a very rational, at least a really strong answer. Maybe it's not going to convince you, but it is definitely you're recognizing, okay, that honestly, that was just a really good answer. Mm-hmm. To then later bring that question up as though this is the big defeater for all Christians is intellectually dishonest. Mm-hmm. And to say like, okay, I've got a question for you. Like, okay, we, we've done this one. And I laid out the answers for you. You should at least be dubious that this is a good question. Now, you should at least be going like, uh, not double down, not not doubling doubling down down on it. Right. Not going like, oh, yeah, I've got this great question. Like, no, I've answered this one for you a couple of times. And I feel like I've done a sound job of it. It at least should be in your head now. Like, I probably should stay away from this question.
2: Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned over the years for myself is making sure that Okay, so let's say you, you've got somebody that's asking these hard questions, or you have an atheist friend that's asking these hard questions. There's two two routes you can go. One is kind of uh, David, who represents a lot of what people when atheists have questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that they don't have answers. In the age of internet, you can go look it up online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to Google. It's it, there's no there's no it's there's we don't suffer from a lack of information. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. <laughs> It's not like these skeptics are asking this question for the first time. This is a question that they ask that a lot of Christians can't answer or won't mm-hmm. answer, or it makes Christians mad, or it brings right. out the, neg- the negative responses that the atheist wants Christians to be guilty of. Mm-hmm. So the other aspect of this is, however, is to be able to, whether you think they're trying to annoy you or whether you think they're being genuine, is to repeat and to try to really understand what their argument And Again, this gets back to being very specific. Mm-hmm. So when an atheist tells me, I don't think that, that, that God didn't create the universe. I say, I stop and I say, well, what do you mean by God? Well, maybe he's, and, and sometimes they'll, they'll, and I said, well, how do you know your definition of God is correct? So if I say they're getting back to my cow analogy, if I say there's no heifers in the pasture, but I'll tell you what a heifer looks like, well, what does my statement mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So, so if you can't be specific about the God you don't believe in, then I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know whether to believe in him is I either. Don't, I d- yeah. it, how
2: is anybody going to be knowledgeable about your position and you're just being general? So one of the aspects of it is that God is sometimes, if they will tell you that, that God is omniscient. Okay. I think most people, most atheists would grant that. And I said, so, so you're telling me that, you know, that an omniscient being likely doesn't exist. Now, what? What is somewhat problematic about that statement? How do yeah, you would how, have to be omniscient right. to <laughs> right, exactly. out, right. outwit?
1: So you've crossed off
2: all the options here. You, you have just set yourself up hmm. as having, if not omniscient, they're not going to admit they're omniscient. Right, <laughs> right. They don't realize that the concession is a concession to omniscience. Mm-hmm. And that's when these these are the kind of specific questions that if you ask them. The sparks are going to fly depending on... But that reveals where that person is coming from. Mm
1: -hmm, You will
2: see instantly, this is not an intellectual argument. This is a willful suppression attempt. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even if it's your best friend or your mom or your spouse or your uncle your aunt or somebody that you love and have been shoulder to shoulder in church forever, Mm -hmm. and they're asking these questions, it's likely that by the time they're even asking these questions, they've already made a decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? They're just looking for other... They're stockpiling reasons for why I'm going mm-hmm. to leave. Mm-hmm. They're not like David. He's not interested in coming back to Christianity. Mm. Right.
3: Well, and we all want to think that we all want to believe that we're very intellectual individuals who all of our decisions <laughs> are very based on <laughs> That's reason. Right. right. They're not. No, well, no. It, I'm... <laughs> but it's really, I think it's hard on most of our pride when yeah. to admit that there's an emotional or personal component to the information or intellect. Wait till
2: you get, like for me, the most embarrassing and humbling aspect of my Christian faith has been in the last four years, where you try to, to cross swords with top-notch thinking atheists about their objections to Christianity, and you're humiliated. Mm, <laughs> and, right. and 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 you just begin to realize that, okay, that you don't know everything, Dan, you know? <laughs> and, but, yeah, right. but sometimes in the realm of Christian apologetics, and this is what I don't like about it, I feel like atlas sometimes where I've got to have, oh, you're the apologist. You've had special training. You've talked right. to all these people. Mm. I feel like I'm carrying them. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I've got to have an answer for every objection, but I'll tell you what, it's not that I'm smart, but after you've run around in atheist circles for a while, all the questions... Oh my gosh. They're the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's shocking. It's like listening to Pachelbel's Canon. <laughs> yes. It's just, oh, now that that has a cello in it and it comes around and it has another piano in it. And it's just the same tune with different instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not, they're not original. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's they're all the same. They're, they're varieties of the same thing. I was on our Atheist and Christian book club couple well, was last summer, I think we had Dr. Bart Ehrman live with us. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, well, cool.
2: and uh, I said, I, I, I asked some friends who had, debated him some, for some advice about what kind of question to ask, because as a moderator of the club, I don't get to debate them for an hour and a half. I just get one question. Mm-hmm. So I said, Dr. Ehrman, what's the reason we have the New Testament if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Well, Daniel, I I don't understand this question. You know, And so he he knows it was a veiled argument. I mean, I grant him that. I wasn't trying to make the point, but, but it was the point that he does not like to address. Right. Because there's no... Solid, historical alternatives. Right, exactly. For why we have the New Testament if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, Bart's favorite thing to do is to say, well, you know, we have near-death experiences and people have grief hallucinations and people believe that they see their deceased loved one at the foot of their bed and, you know, one in eight people psychologically, statistically have these grief hallucinations and he just drops that in there, but he doesn't espouse that as an alternative historically because the evidence is weak, but nevertheless mm. that's what he does. So he tried to, well, Daniel, you you don't believe in Allah or Joseph Smith's God or the Jehovah's Witnesses is God, so why aren't you applying the same kind of evidence to your belief as, and and so he, it was a red herring. He tried to steer mm. me in the direction. It looked silly because I wasn't responding to those things. But my friend told me, don't respond to him and make sure that he answers your question. So he said, I just think the, the disciples were mistaken. But, you know, grief hallucinations, there's nobody that's had a grief hallucination where they actually think that their deceased loved one, that their grave is empty. Right, mm-hmm. right. There's no, so, but I've heard that's, that's you know, that's just one example. But mm-hmm. when you tango with skeptics who kind of know their Bibles and kind of know the apologetic arguments, it's embarrassing. And I, I, you know, I don't know everything as an apologist and I, I certainly don't want to be perceived as, as such because it's not finally my intellect or my decision-making or my volition that I'm still a Christian.
3: Mm.
1: Right. That's actually one of the things we've talked about as I was, gosh, I think yesterday talking with a mom about this, about her child who is in the process potentially of deconstructing and, um, and saying, you know, your adult child is going to, that's their belief or non-belief is between them and God. At some point there's, there's very little, you can, you're not going to be able to cause your child to believe something.
0: Mm.
1: However, it is appropriate, I tell people, if you're not going to believe, at least you should not believe for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to say, well, the reason I don't believe is because no one has a good answer to this question. Like, well, no, no, there's there's really good answers to that question. And so if you if you want those answers, I'm happy to share them with you, or we can go look them up together. Mm-hmm. Or if you ask one that I've never heard either, then we can go look it up together. That'd be fun because I love those. They're They're few and far between nowadays. But Um, that was, I had the same shock when I discovered, when I first started getting into the world and, and then kind of honestly got out of it as almost as quickly as I got into it, realizing there's nowhere to go here Mm. um, in the atheist world is, is I can go to the websites and, and watch the copy and paste that they've done of each other's websites. And they're all citing the same book that's already been totally dismantled and disproven. And yet they're still, Mm. uh, I mean, in 2023 to read someone saying, well, Jesus is just a recapitulation of of Horace and you're like, okay, <laughs> that's just, that has been absolutely debunked. There is nothing to that. Have you read any of that? Mm. Like, have you read the, do, tell me the myth of Horace then. Mm-hmm. And they have nothing. And you're like, okay, so you're just copying and pasting the same ridiculous, like if anyone has a new one, I'd like to hear it. That would be fun to me, but I'm mm-hmm. bored quickly with, okay, the same nine questions that, I mean, I've already, so I've published my answers on my website and I'm a nobody. I have almost no training in this. This is not my area of expertise. And I've answered all the big ones. Could you read that first and then then ask me that if, I, if you feel like I wasn't able to... Well,
2: every, every Easter and Christmas at the grocery store checkout are the National Geographic and Time Magazine right. articles about who Jesus is. And it's always <laughs> the same. got a, a liberal Christian scholar who's conceded so much of the New Testament, there's hardly anything left of it. Uh, we had Dr. Dale Allison on our book club a couple of months ago. He's a liberal Christian scholar. He considers himself a Christian, but he thinks that Jesus was wrong. I'm like, how do you do that, Dale? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, he's upset. Sure, he why up, not? He gets upset when people say he's outside the Orthodox Christian creed of historical Christianity, but you can't say Jesus is wrong and be a Christian, Dale. Right. I mean, I'm not, maybe you are struggling with something, but, uh, you know, you can't, I, I just, you know, there's so much of that out there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it just, if you are, if you have created a a cult of the heart you are so prone mm. this is all of us uh, we we do now i want to i want to steal man that how christians can do this too because this is where i think a lot of people are pr- being primed to deconvert mm. Mm, okay is oh, yeah. a shallow theology mm. a, an anemic theology an error filled theology that has the self at the center in other words, we set aside the commandments of... It's kind of like this. We set aside the commandments of God and adhere to the traditions of men, and we forget the kind of debt that we have before a holy God, and we create our own Excel spreadsheet of our deeds and what God owes me. Mm. This is this is the kind of the way I was functioning, that here's all my good things, God, and, and well, that's $50, and well, you owe me $100, and, and you owe me this, and you owe me that. You know, I've been such a good... Little boy, it's like Santa Claus, you know, um, and and we we erase the ledger that the handwriting that was against us in the law, and instead of looking at the cross as taking away that kind of handwriting, we take away the cross, we take away Sinai, we create our own good deeds, and then we say that God is indebted to us, mm. and then at some point, as I'm trying to get God to fill in His side of the ledger, I just give up because mm. that it's just like Dagon, that kind of God has no hands, and He keeps falling over, and He's not going to do stuff for you. Mm. right? Mm. <laughs> and, and that's how we are training people to think mm-hmm. that if I do these things for, it's like proverbial Christianity, mm-hmm. the, the whole, you know, oh, yeah. the train up the child, that's not a guarantee. That's not a verse that guarantees your child is not going to walk away from God. Mm-hmm. But so many people believe it that way. And so when that child does walk away from God, that person walks away from God. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought, God, this, well, no, that's not, that's not what the Bible is saying. Right. And so there's this we are creating the 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 hotbed. It's like drought in Texas, you know? It doesn't take much to to start acreages of wildfire. And and so we are creating a, an environment where this is becoming more systemic because the theology is is so anemic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then people are encountering like what David Smalley has capitalized on is having Christians on his show who have never read Leviticus or have never thought about n- the Midianites, or right, anything and weird stuff in the Bible, right, right? right? He gets Christians on there that don't know anything about this, right? Or, or or don't have an answer for it. But it's the same questions over and over again. If you mm-hmm. listen to all several five six hundred shows that David has, it's all the same stuff on repeat. Mm. Just trying to get Christians to to trip up. So I think we can, and I did, and I'm saying this from a point of having done it myself and still mm-hmm. still wrestling my way out of it mm-hmm. by God's grace. Is this Excel spreadsheet? Cult of the heart Christianity mm-hmm. where I do this and God <laughs> owes me that. Yeah, exactly. It's hard yeah. to get it's hard to get out of that. It's hard to think I was guilty of that. Yeah. It's hard to think that I still do that. Mm. Yeah,
1: that's the temptation,
2: isn't it? You know, I'll drive home today. Mm-hmm. God, wasn't that a great thing that I did for <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. yeah. True. <laughs> I drove all that way. Even Steven. Even <laughs> Steven. <laughs> We're good. That took care that's, of my indulgences so yesterday.
1: Yeah. In fact, let me i I'll comment as we probably ought to wrap up the first section here. So the or this first um episode. So the um a couple of things. One, we want to give people resources. So the second hour, we will focus in on some of the resources you recommend that you have. But how what's the easiest way for someone to find you, if they just hear this one, to find you? online
2: to, to get your materials? So, um, it's, I I would rather have people, uh, you want me to do that again? Are you going to (laughs) edit? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I recommend people just go to, uh, Mm watchman.org. Okay. We have several resources right at the front of that page. We have our flagship podcast, podcast, apologetics profile, We talk about uh, world religions, other cults, uh, philosophy, atheism, um, worldview stuff that's timeless. So even, you know, we have almost 200 episodes and you can go back to the first one and it doesn't seem dated. We're not talking about cultural trendy things. Right. Then we have a sidebar podcast called Good Heavens, if you're interested in science and cosmology. Uh, Good Heavens is our science and cosmology and astronomy podcast. That's on the sidebar uh, we have our atheist and Christian book club link uh, on the on the front of the and then of course on the sidebar we have all kinds of information on cults, atheism, um, yep. any kind of agnosticism. We have four page profiles that we uh, print for free, and we have it all in a notebook. But you can get profiles on any kind of ism, pretty much that um, is out there. If you have Muslim neighbors, or you know, uh, Mormon neighbors, or Jehovah's Witnesses, or if you know atheists or skeptics, uh, we, we, we trade in uh, in worldviews and we're trying to build up more and more of our, I just wrote a profile on nihilism. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written a profile on scientism, on divine hiddenness, on uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos. So there's a lot of resources. Just go to watchman with an A.org. Okay. If people want to get a hold of me, they can email me at dray at watchman.org. Very cool. Great. And that's, that's a, and I'd recommend that one
1: of the things we want is for people who are in the process of deconstructing to not end there. Yeah. Um, to keep to deconstructing and reconstructing is another word. Th- those two would be another way to describe the word growth. Mm-hmm. And so as long as we're engaging in all of it um, and it sounds like we need to get uh, Dan, a copy of low anthropology by David Zoll one of our previous <laughs> podcast guys. That sounds great. He, it's a, you, you would eat it up. Um, uh, he thinks that's one of the main solutions to the modern church is that we need to continue to increase our high theology, but our mm. anthropology needs to decrease.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.